All right. Welcome back to the Wayfinder Show. Uh, we have another episode where it's just me alone. Adam and I have, you know, had conf- uh, schedule conflicts lately. So he and I have both had to do some solo shows, which has uh, been still a lot of fun and we really enjoy it. And I'm really excited about today's because we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine who I got to meet earlier this year. I think some of you have heard we started a 5 a.m. run club, a bunch of crazy whack jobs get together at five in the morning and we go run around Denver. Uh, don't ask us why. It actually makes sense in the summer. I have no idea why the hell we're doing this anymore. <laughs> but other than, you know, I got to meet some really, really cool people who I really enjoy and they really inspire me. And so now I go to for the community and the camaraderie. And one of those people is here with us today. And that's Dr. Cara Robin, Rabin. Did I say that right? Yeah, Rabin. Yeah, sorry, Rabin. <laughs> So, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I saw you just a few hours ago, I guess. Uh I know. We were out running. You know what's funny about, I, you know, normally I just call you Kara, but now I feel like, should I call you Dr. Rabin? (laughs) Just Kara is cool? cool? Yes. Perfect. All right. So, normally I, um, I think I run quite a bit sometimes, you know, and normally today was my long run, actually moved it up and had to run 16 miles this morning. And I know to a lot of people, that's really crazy. And some other people who are in the running world, it's not. But uh, a lot of times when we're training for marathons, that's like a normal long run, that might even be a short long run, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm preparing for this. And I'm thinking, Oh, man, this is a big run. And then Early on, you know, already at like mile three on our street, going to the meetup, I run, I see two lights in the street, one on top of the other. And, uh, and that's a sign for, <laughs> for Kara here. We're like, oh, is that Kara? Cause she wears two lights all the time. And she was already out there way ahead of us. And, uh, and then she was running out long after that. And so my like prep for my marathon run was just another run for, for Kara, <laughs> just a fun run. Running away from my family and getting time alone, probably. Yeah. Well, that's a very healthy way to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Kara, uh, tell us a little bit about your origin story. Um, so, I'm from New York City. Um, I was born and raised um, in Manhattan and lived there my whole life through high school. Um, and... Um, then is just like about where I grew up. Is that it? Just that kind of thing? Yeah, whatever. Just, uh, yeah, let people know a little bit more about you and where you're from, just like you're doing. Um, Yeah, yeah, so it was just me and my parents. Um, I have two half-brothers, but they're like much older. Like my uh, oldest half-brother was 30 years older than me. So my parents were significantly older parents and um, used to joke that, my dad was a lot of grand, like a lot of people's grandparents' age, because um, he had me when he was fifty-four, I think, mm. fifty-four, fifty-five, um, and he actually um, did live very long. He passed away last year, but he lived till ninety-one, so um, lived quite a long time. Um, so yeah, I grew up with them in Greenwich Village, Manhattan, which, if you're not familiar with New York City, is kind of like a big central part of. New York, um, and really fun place to live somewhere I can never afford to live now, of course, but somehow my parents were smart to buy real estate there before it was popular. And, um, 
and expensive and everything back then it wasn't at all. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, um, was there through high school, like I said, and then went away to college in, um, Philadelphia. And, um, I would say I had a pretty, honestly, like very lucky, um, childhood, very, um, yeah, I think that most, I was lucky in many ways, certainly financially, um, very blessed and, um, had got to go to good schools, although I did go to public school, um, had good friends, got to do a lot of things. I never ran back then at all. Um, but I did gymnastics, did date, like other activities that I like to do, traveled a lot. And then, um, yeah, went away to college in Philadelphia and it was kind of, um, or it wasn't kind of, it was in college when, when everything, my struggles started really at the, um, towards the end of my freshman year of college. Yeah. Yeah. So I just recently learned about some of those struggles, you know, and, um, I think it's a really important topic to talk about and and I'm hoping that, you know, that's the whole reason why we have you here. Cause I, I want you to share those struggles and, and I think uh, how you overcame them and everything is, is going to inspire a lot of people. So can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So in college you started with some struggles and in essentially it was an eating disorder. Is that right? Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah. You're a doctor, yeah. so I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was um, anorexia nervosa, which is one of, you know, several eating disorders that um, are out there, I guess, DSM-5 or whatever the criteria is now. But that was what um, I developed and was diagnosed with um, back then. Yeah. How did that start? Um, it's not, yeah. it's And it's kind of not something I talk about really often or with anybody, but, um, the brief version of it is, um, as a freshman in college, and actually we were kind of talking about some of this stuff this morning, um, in the, in the sense of you having daughters and being protective, but, um, long story short, like I had a pretty, um, like traumatic experience as a freshman, um, in college with like a, a male, a boy. Um, and, um, it, seemed to set off a lot of like negative things for me. Um, and so first I just, um, became very, very like depressed, honestly. Like I was, um, I just never been that sad in my life and it's hard to describe depression to people who don't go through it. Cause it's really hard to understand, um, as is like anorexia certainly. Um, and sometimes when I see patients now who, you know, say they just feel down and hopeless and dark. And like, I, I get it. Like I feel for them because I do get it. Cause I've been there at times in my life. Um, so yeah, I just like became very, very depressed. And then from there, um, just basically thought, you know, I think kind of like blamed myself for what happened or not kind of, but did blame myself and felt that, you know, if I, um, lost weight, um, things would get better and I would, that wouldn't have happened or I wouldn't be depressed or sad or anything anymore. And so, um, I just started, started like a diet. Um, and for most people, um, dieting is not something easy to keep up as we know, like certainly, um, people being overweight and having, you know, more obesity is more of a problem, you know, statistically than anorexia. But, um, for me, I found that once I kind of started dieting, it just got, um, it got easier and easier to the point that I just kept eating less and less. Um, and that was all over, um, the, the end, like second half of my freshman year of college. Um, and so, um, 
when what I remember and some of that, I mean, I'm old now. So some of this is a very long time ago, like literally probably 20 years ago now, um, like going home for that summer after freshman year. And like my, my mom just like crying when she saw me because she, I had lost so much weight and, um, you know, weren't, they weren't aware cause I didn't want to tell anybody about what was going on. So they hadn't been aware of what was going on. Um, and so that summer was actually the first time where they started, um, I started getting like treatment and doing stuff, um, to try to, I guess, get better, gain weight, you know, whatever. But as I learned, um, after pretty much doing it for eight years on and off that it's one of those things that, um, usually the first try, um, first attempt to get, you know, better does not do it. I mean, this is, it reminds me of a lot of people who struggle with, you know, concerns with alcohol or with, um, you know, drugs or anything like that. But, um, basically like in and out, in and out of different treatment centers and things like that for a total of eight years. And that was, that summer was the first time, but I, it didn't like, I would get better and then relapse and get better and relapse. And so that was the first time I went to treatment. Yeah. Wow. First of all, I I just want to go back to when you said you don't talk about this much. This is I know this is a really serious topic and I'm really grateful that you're sharing this and opening yourself up about this. So just want to make that known. (laughs) Um, So if we can go back just a a little bit, you said, you know, it started with some depression because of a problem with a boy and you started blaming yourself and you thought, you know, just losing weight would take care of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there anything in that, that made you like what in that relationship made you feel that way? Did, would he say things to you that were inappropriate? Or did you just perceive things or how, how did that feeling come about? No, I think it was more um, that, um, and I think this actually is common with um, people both who want, you know, become like lose too much weight and gain a lot of weight is that, Um, when you've had like, you know, a trauma, like a rape or something like that, that you think you want to be like less attractive to the opposites or in my case to the opposite sex. And so even if you're not like, Hmm. like lose weight, I mean, I, you know, you kind of lose all the things to me that made me feminine and like was much less attractive to people um, because I looked now looking back, like I looked pretty horrible and scary, you know, but at the time you don't see that. And I certainly have had seen that with other people who maybe just have that kind of event or experience and they just like will eat more and gain a lot of weight because again, it's kind of a protection against you're like, don't look at me, like don't come near me and you're not going to be attractive to that person. I guess it doesn't have to be the opposite sex for me. It was or the same, you know, whatever it's, you make yourself a lot less attractive. Interesting. So then this happened for eight years. What, first of all, what were the other effects? How else did this affect, affect your life other than the depression and uh, the physical, you know, um, just from the, the, from lack of nutrition and everything? Yeah. Um, I mean, I always say to people, or I really regret college because I feel like, I mean, I my parents and, and me too, I paid for some of it, paid a lot of money to go to a very expensive Ivy League school. And um, yeah. I was 
miserable and the entire time and essentially missed half my schooling going in and out of hospitals. Um, Mm. Because again, I gain enough weight to get better, go back to school, then um, do worse. And then at that time, like I'd be admitted again to a different um, hospital um, for so many months. So I actually, I ended up, I still graduated in four years because I took like an insane amount of classes when I was there. And of course, like was very type A, I am very type A um, (laughs) person, which is part of probably what was not a healthy experience for me um, in the sense of I took things too much um, in any way I did, like in any way I did things. But um, so, yeah, so I, I essentially like missed half of my college and, and going in and out of like treatment and hospitals. And then when I was in school um, studied so, so, so much because I had to take so many classes and was pre-med that I, I don't think I experienced anything else about college. Um, and so that was unfortunate because again, um, now that I appreciate and having kids in the future and thinking of them going to college, like, you know, what a really luxury and, um, you know, it is to like have an, you know, a like kind of liberal arts education and get that. Cause it's not, not everyone can, and it's not great for everybody, but, um, I kind of like wasted all of that. Um, mm. that was unfortunate. Um, and like little things I remember, like um, one year being in the hospital, um, and these are all different places. Like there were hospitals in New York. Um, one of the places that does a lot of specials, or not, I don't know if they specialize in it, but works with a lot of patients with eating disorders was in Long Island Jewish Hospital. Then there were places outside of Philadelphia. Um, I went to a hospital outside of Baltimore um, that I don't remember the name of because um, it was such a horrible experience. I blacked it out. Um but um, like one year being because it's Christmas coming up, like being there alone for like Christmas Eve and Christmas because my um, my parents had a trip to Hawaii and they didn't want to cancel it. Um, so I was like alone on Christmas and I was very um, sad at that time. So, all right. You said you went through this for eight years. You got through college in four. Mm-hmm. What happened in the next four Yeah. um, So then after college, I did this um, fellowship. I get, yeah, I guess it's a fellowship. Um, It was basically a training award, they call it, to go work at the National National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, and do research there while I was applying to medical school. Um, And I did that for two years. That was in one of those two years was when I was in the hospital in Baltimore for a while or outside Hmm. of Baltimore. And so um, that was actually probably like those two years were better ish. Like I was um, stable enough that I was generally for most of the time more functioning. Um, And I, I think I felt like I started anew a little bit leaving um, Philadelphia, leaving Pennsylvania and just felt, I think I did feel a little bit happier um, when I was down there. Um, And then I applied to medical school um, the first time around, which for anyone who knows is a very grueling process and incredibly, I mean, just the odds of getting in are, are so, so low. It's, it's like, I, I imagine probably even harder than law school or whatever else. I mean, you, I applied to dozens and dozens of schools and um, 
um, got into a couple. And then it was kind of when I started at um, my, my school that I was at, um, that I seemed to get relapse again, probably in the setting of all the stress and, and everything mm. from, from schooling. Um, so that was, yeah, that was about, I guess, two years after college. Mm. Shouldn't you just be having fun and partying in medical school? Is that how it's supposed to work? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not. Uh, it's um, yeah. not like business school where you get paid to like go and schmooze with people. It's it's yeah. <laughs> very different than that. Okay. Um. So what about okay? So let's let's start to talk a little bit. Uh, actually, in that, I believe you also had. Uh, you ended up leaving medical school for a little bit, right? Yeah. So that's what kind of made it, um, more complicated or, um, complicated is it was, um, I was at medical school at Stony Brook, which is a, a school on, in, in New York, one of the New York state schools and, and, a, and a really good school. Um, and it was towards, it was probably, it was February of that year. So like, I guess two thirds away into the school year. Um, and I remember, things had been getting worse and worse. I'd really like stopped eating. I was really underweight. And when you're really underweight, you just don't feel well. I mean, you like, I was constantly cold to the point of like being in pain. I couldn't like sit for long periods of time because like my, I had like no padding and it would like hurt to mm. sit on hard surfaces. Um, and so I remember being in a Starbucks cause I like to study at Starbucks um, and sitting, they had this Starbucks was actually really nice. I don't, I don't know if they have ones like this anymore that had like a fireplace. And I remember sitting near the fireplace and just not being able to warm up. And I was so cold, like I could and concentrate well, and I was trying to study and then driving home, I almost got into an accident because I hadn't eaten all day and I was just so weak and tired from not eating that I felt mm. like I was going to black out. And felt like got home to my, um, I was sharing a house with, um, another girl. I got home and then I called my parents and I was like, I think I need to take a break from school. Like, I can't do this. Like I thought I was going to die. Like wow. I felt like I was going to die and I knew at least. then I was like, well, I don't want yeah. to actually die. Um, and so, yeah. So, so you essentially dropped out of medical school at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't want to drop out. Um, I went, I had to talk to the dean or whatever. I don't, I don't remember now and tell them, I mean, they're not idiots, right? Yeah. These are also doctors. <laughs> so they, yeah. they're, they're, they can, and certainly it's the kind of illness that's very um, visible um, because you can see that someone is like emaciated and like, I mean, I can tell now when I see people who, it's not just being thin, right. it like looks different I and mean, right. they don't look well. Um, and so I assume they kind of could tell what was going on, but I went and I said, you know, I need to take a break from school cause I'm struggling with health issues and, um, you know, take a break. And then they're like, I don't remember if they said it then or not, but they're like, well, you could take up to a six month leave of absence, but if it's longer than that, you mm. can't come back. How long did you take? Um, like you'd have to restart. So initially it was going to be not too long of a time. I went to um, like one, I had to be like medically stabilized at a hospital there. And then I flew to this place in Chicago um, called Timberland or outside Chicago, um, where I was for many months. It was like a 
treatment center. And so it wasn't just people with anorexia or bulimia or binge eating, but there were, uh, it was all women, a lot of people who struggled from, you know, different kinds of trauma and certainly like alcohol and drugs for some of them. Um, and so I went there and there's no real guarantee as to how long it'll be. They just say, you have to go till you get better. And when I was there, basically, um, and I lived, that was February. I was there until sometime in the middle of the summer, I want to say. Um, and then went to like a kind of a step down place that was in Chicago for the same thing. But the, the medical director who was there, um, the psychiatrist was like, there's no way you could, if you go back to school now, you'll get mm. right back to where you started. Like you will not, you need more time. You're not stable enough. And, um, you'll just end up right back where you were. And so, um, and it's interesting because everyone who worked there, including the medical director, um, was a woman in mm. recovery themselves. So she had struggled with, I think, anorexia, bulimia, um, some alcohol, um, issues and was like, you know, in recovery and then had started this place. So, I mean, I knew that she got it and she just was like, you're not going to be able to go back yet. You need more. Cause she knew also the stresses of what yeah. medical school is. And it's just medical school, is just the start it's medical school, then residency, then whatever. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up knowing I needed to take longer and then the school was like, well, that's fine, but you can't, you can apply again, but you can't necessarily come mm. back. So would you, would you, defi what would you define as your bottom in all of that? Hmm. Yeah, it's hard. I have felt like I had many bottoms. One of that was that time where I was like sitting at the Starbucks and like, could like thought I was going to die and couldn't study because I felt so weak and cold and sick. And then that was more like physically, I was like, I'm, there's like something really wrong with me. Um, and then the other bottom, I would say was then, so I was like, okay, I'm not coming back to medical school. What do I do now? I have no job. Like I had nothing. And I'm like, I'm going to have to go home and live with my parents because I have no money. <laughs> um, and so I moved back home and lived with my parents in New York. Um, and I, to find a job and then, um, eventually reapply to medical school. And I would say that having to come home to like nothing, where it was like, I've lost everything I've worked for like my whole life, like starting in high school, um, working towards like knowing I wanted to be a doctor and like, so getting into like the college I wanted to go to and going there and working so hard in college, um, taking so many classes at a time, like including, you know, labs and whatever to work so hard there to get into medical school. And then I lost all of that. And I was stuck living with my parents and uh, <laughs> all of my, you know, friends, uh, no one else struggled with this. So um, were like successful either with like careers or like they were all starting to like get serious with like a, in a couple with like a, you know, boyfriends. And so I just felt like I was just a total and complete failure and I had nobody and like nothing. And I didn't know what to yeah. do. All right, so let's let's start building up Dr. Kyrabin back. <laughs> what was what what did that path look like? What was the first step towards outside of the treatment and all of that? What what started to uh what what started to change and and um get you on that path to recovery? Yeah. Um no, it's a good question and it's hard because I don't 
I can't even pinpoint one specific thing that was like, okay, I realize I have to just like snap out of this and get better. Um, but I do think hitting that bottom and feeling like I had nothing to live for and nothing that I'd worked for, um, made me motivated to, to do that. Um, and I, it actually, and part of just regarding the medical school stuff and the medicine, you know, that stuff, it took me, I got a job that was a real, a pretty good job at, um, I was doing research at Columbia university working there. And I was doing that while I applied to medical, I had to also, so sorry, part of medical school, you have to, to get in, you have to take the MCAT, which is like a ridiculously hard, unnecessarily hard test that has nothing to do with any medicine you practice, but um, is like part of this hurdle, like to get people into medical school. And so I had to, my, your MCAT scores, at least then were only good for like three years or two years. So I had to retake the MCAT. So study all over again for this horrible test. Um, <clears throat> and then reapply to medical school. And the first time I applied, um, the first time I reapplied, I, I, um, disclosed, yeah, disclosed the right word. What I, what had happened, not like details, but I was like, I was in school. I took a medical leave. I couldn't go back. Well, no one wanted to interview me. No one wanted to look at me, talk to me, anything. Um, and I had still good MCAT scores and still the same, you know, I got, when I was at Stony Brook, I got good grades and, obviously did well in in college and stuff. And no one, like, it was like a big black mark on my record, which part of what is so sad and knowing this, seeing other people go through it is doctors are worse to their own. And in the medical community, we should know things like anorexia is a disease or sort of even, you know, alcoholism is a disease, but it is not looked at like that. It is looked at as a personal failure and that you are a problem and you should not be there. So, it was, I was not, it, no, I don't even know if I had any interviews. Um, so then I did it again the next year and I just didn't, I don't know how I like covered up my record, but I didn't even disclose like that I had been in school before I had taken a medical leave. I just like left a kind of black hole in my record. I didn't lie, but I didn't say any of that. I just had all the other stuff I did before and my work. I didn't want them to know I was ever in school before and ever had medical problems and have to take a medical leave. And then I did get interviews and you ended up getting in um, to a couple of places, but it made me really sad. Um, really. Yeah. Like actually really sad for how like medicine is. Cause again, like we all know, and we learn like these things are horrible, horrible diseases that actually yeah. kill a lot of people. And the fact that they couldn't, and that they couldn't see that as, okay, well you've been through this and now have overcome it and will be successful as a positive thing. It's, it's yeah. pretty. I think you and I have had enough, uh, uh, some conversations in, in our early morning runs to, you know, have our own, share our own feelings about the medical profession and how it, <laughs> it could use some changing. So we'll, we'll avoid that one for another, we'll save that one for another episode. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Okay. So you, so you ended up getting back into law school. I mean, medical school, right. Uh, <laughs> which is absolutely amazing. I've just never heard that when I first, read about your story and I heard, I, I'm just like, I, I mean, the determination, you know, uh, to do that, first of all, is incredible. Right. And then just the ability to, to actually get back in after that. I, I found that incredibly uh, compelling. So kudos to you says a lot about you. Um, so then what, so uh, tell me a little bit about, 
you know, uh, at that, so you got into, into medical school again, uh, second time. And is that around the time you started running as well? Yeah. So backtracking a little bit, I think it was in the time of when I was applying to medical schools, those two years that I was like, that's when I decided I just like needed to get, basically I said to myself, I need to get over myself and get better. Like this is not a life I want to have. I don't want to see every one of my friends happy and getting married and be alone. I don't want to um, never achieve my, the career, you know, I wanted to. Um, and I didn't want to, it's hard to describe, but, um, when you're in that place of like not doing well, um, from, uh, anorexia, or I assume other kind of eating disorders, all I thought about all the time was food, like in the sense that I didn't eat any, mm-hmm. but I thought about it all the time. And I was constantly, um, yeah, just my brain. That was all I could think about. So I wasn't ever happy. Um, because I was obsessing about what I didn't eat, what I should eat, what I was going to eat next. And so at one point I was just like, I just have to, like, this is enough. I just have to get over myself and be miserable. That's what I say about like being comfortable, being uncomfortable, um, just be uncomfortable and push through it. And that's the only way I'm going to have a life because otherwise I'm never going to have a real life where I'm engaging with people, um, where I'm studying successfully and blah, blah, blah. And, um, So, yeah, there's not one like specific moment, but I just basically told myself I have to get over myself. I have to be willing to know that the process of getting better is going to be miserable. And um, I say that because, again, I I see this with patients I I have or um, I have a we have a friend slash babysitter who I love dearly and she's struggling with what I did. And I, it's so hard seeing it from the outside and seeing, like, I know how she feels and I know how dark and hard it is because you're just, you just can't get out of it. And you say you want to get better. And certainly all those people do, they want to stop drinking. They want to, but wanting to get better isn't enough. You have to want, want to get better and be willing to do whatever it takes to get better, which means being in pain, miserable, uncomfortable, whatever it is, all those things. So I just did that. And um, I, for better or worse, once I put my mind to something, I tend to be very um, goal oriented and like get it um, or work towards it. So um, that's kind of what I did. And it was in doing that, that it was that first people sometimes get it confused, but I think once I was in that pathway. And part of that was like, I'm going to start dating. Cause I was like, I don't know, 28. It was about to, yeah. Um, and so I started doing like the dating apps and that's where I met my husband, but I was better before I met mm-hmm. him. He didn't make me better because I couldn't have met him if I were in a yeah. place I was before. And yeah. And it was when I met him that I kind of started, I met him the year, like a little less than a year before I started in medical school. And then that was the year I started running and then I really started running more in medical school. Excellent. And so there's an article out there about you that you shared with, uh, when you, you, your first <coughs> marathon, right. You did New York city marathon. That's how mm-hmm. I learned about your story. And, uh, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's great. If you don't mind, could I, could I share that in the show notes, that article? Yeah. It, whatever, yeah. yeah if that doesn't That's inspire fine. somebody, I don't know what else will, but, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, talk. Uh, you, the whole article is about being uncomfortable 
while uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is what you called it, right? And you described a lot of those early morning runs yeah. back then and how you were starting to you know, date somebody that you could see yourself with. And fortunately, it's turned into a real thing, right? And uh, I haven't met him yet, but he sounds amazing. And you guys have an amazing family. So I'm glad it all worked out. It's kind of cool to see an old article and now know future you and how it all turned out for the best. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So, yeah. uh, so congrats on, you know, getting through that. Uh, I mean, your determination is amazing. I would never mess with you because I'm afraid you'll be determined to kill me. And I just <laughs> we'll be able to handle it. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, if we can talk about this subject more in an advisory way for folks, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like you said, I, I have two teenage uh, girls and they're, they're beautiful and they're in that age. I don't think that there's any problems there, you know, but um, you know, they're in that age when they start to worry a lot about image and, and you know, boys and different things. And, you know, I, it's something that, you know, I, I personally want to be more aware of and, and alert for. So what are some of those signs that we should be looking for with our love? Yeah. Thank you. No, it's a good question. Um, I think, unfortunately, people can develop eating disorders from all different reasons. So sometimes it is a right like you're uh, I've I had friends or met people in treatment um, who you know, they were more bigger overweight as kids and were just like really made fun of um, and ridiculed. And so we're like, I want to lose weight and took it too far. Or a lot of people honestly had a traumatic history or traumatic experience. Like I did a lot of it, including like sexual trauma. And that turned into, you know, using food, whether too much, too little, throwing it up as a way to kind of control that. Um, so for a lot of people, uh, eating disorders can be about control. And so if they feel out of control in their lives in some other way, um, it's a very not healthy way to try to regain control, but a, something that people do. And I think, um, yeah, less so than often just about the kind of what you see in the media. Yeah, all that stuff's not healthy. Obviously, you see people like people who aren't realistic looking bodies, who aren't realistic um, ways that people get there by being unrealistic. But I think it's often more about other actually like scarier and deeper rooted issues mm. than just that. Okay. What about, um, you know, what do you, you were, it, it's pretty clear you, you were, you were fortunate that you had some resources available to you, right? Like you were able to go and seek treatment uh, a few times and everything. Uh, I, like you said, you know, your parents bought well in Greenwich Village before it was, <laughs> it was the village, right? And um, and so that that allowed you some resources. How how about families who don't have access to all those resources? How can they um help some of those, uh, you know, their loved ones? Yeah, no, that's a great question and something I thought about often, um, because. Um, for better or worse, my mother um, likes to remind me that um, basically they spent all their money getting me treatment so they couldn't pay for like medical school or other things and um, leaving, you know, like to make me feel guilty about it a lot, which wasn't a helpful experience. But um, a lot of the places, I mean, for me, I guess better or worse, insurance covers a lot of it if you're sick enough. So I was always so sick, quote unquote, based on metrics, whatever weight BMI, that my insurance actually covered a good portion of all my treatments. And most of the initial treatment for individuals that's medical 
should be covered by insurance, Medicaid included. Um, certainly, if there was no insurance, that's obviously, as you said, a whole different issue with medical care in general. Um, but most insurances cover cover treatment for um, eating disorders like okay. medical treatment. Um, for the other treatment, it, that's the harder part, like seeing a therapist or a nutritionist or something. Most of that is, you know, you end up having to pay out of pocket. And um, yeah, I wish I had answers to that because that's what I deal with all the time with just my regular patients. Like, yeah. how do I get you help when it's unattainable and unaffordable and insurance? It's not, you know, you can't yeah. use insurance. Okay. How about um, you touch a little bit about your parents' reaction? How about you know, if this were to happen, how, how should we as, as parents, as, as loved ones of people who are going through this, what is the right way to, to react to that, to, to show our support, but also, you know, help you get through it as quickly and painlessly as possible? Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. Cause I think um, now being a parent or now seeing again, like I have my friend babysitter who's struggling with it it's so hard to watch someone you love, like, you know, like literally killing themselves. And so I could see now looking back as a parent, how painful that must have been. Um, because, and when I say killing themselves, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, eating disorders are like the most deadly mental illness that exists, mm -hmm. if you consider it a mental illness. And I've had three friends who I know who died from their eating disorders directly. Um, so watching your loved one, like, you know, killing themselves, it must be horrible and devastating as parents. So I do think it must something, a mix of supporting them, but the tough love part is important. You can't just support them to be like, oh, okay, like, yeah, you know, we'll get you, you know, kind of skirting around the issue or we'll get you help at some point or you're doing okay. I mean, my, it had to be at some points, like, we'll never give you another, we won't help you anymore if you don't, you know, get better. We won't be in your life. I mean, that was a little extreme, but like, we don't want to be in your life if you can't, you know, get, get better from this. And I mean, that certainly happens to people who struggle with other things where their family is like an ultimatum, like you're either on your own or you, you know, do this. So I think the tough part is actually mm. very important. So tough love helps. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Kara, again, I want to thank you again for sharing that story. I know it probably wasn't easy and it may may have brought up some old wounds and I'm sorry about that. But I, I want you to know, I, I think it's really important. And I really do think there's a lot of people who are going to be inspired by this. And and kudos to you for your determination. Um, it, it's it's amazing and it's really inspiring. I'm glad I know you. But with, with that in mind, we're getting to that point where we got to go over the our famous Wayfinder 4. Are you ready? <laughs> All right. So give us a hack. This is a personal hack you use to, you know, kind of productivity, just cheat life with, <laughs> you know. Okay. Well, you know it. It's getting yeah. up at four in the morning. Um, no, but seriously, I think um, as I learned – um, more and more with like residency kids and stuff that anything you need to get done has to get done before totally. your other day starts. So for me, it was exercise. And for me, that was getting up as early as needs to be, because I know <clears throat> how much it makes me feel better for the day. And otherwise it won't necessarily fit in. 
Um, and again, sometimes with being on, like, you don't want to wake up at 4am in the middle of the wind, the shortest day of the year when it's cold and dark, but knowing that that, you know, half hour of being miserable, like getting yourself out of bed and being so tired and cold and getting out the door, like that discomfort is worth it. Totally. I'll I'll take it a step further. It's not even uh, just, yeah, it gives you that time. And I think, uh, as parents that, at some point, I think we start to recognize that might be the only time. It's either you stay up really late, but you still yeah. got to get up really early to take care of your kids anyway. So you might as well just get up a little bit earlier and do it. But the other thing that I've now, now I'm on the other end of that, like we've discussed, right? My kids are now teenagers, self-sufficient. Yeah, I still got to drive them sometime, but like, I really don't have to be anywhere till like 8 a.m. So like now that that might as well be lunchtime, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> but um, what I'm finding now about this is like the people in that community at 5 a.m. who get up to meet and run are all a bunch of badasses. And that's who I want to surround myself with. You know, it's people like you and the other folks we run with that I'm less like, I, that makes me a better person personally. So I, I really yeah. like that. So anyways, um, how about a favorite? Could be book, movie, show, whatever, activity. <laughs> well, as you know, I don't watch movies or shows. I don't know what's on TV. Um, I'd say one of my favorite authors, and I don't read enough anymore because I just don't have time, um, is uh, Jhumpa Lahari. Uh, she's an Indian author and has she writes short stories, but also novels. Um, and recently I reread um, her book called Unaccustomed Earth. And it's one of my favorite okay. um, books. And that was, I reread it like last year. Cause again, I literally never get to read, um, but yeah, and I can write you like how to spell her name, but she's a really excellent writer. I used to read all like voracious yeah. reader. Like I, that's one of my happy places. Um, I just don't have the the time to do that's it great. Now. Our audience is all uh, I'd say that's- uh, a lot of readers here too. So that's great. <laughs> what okay, is the piece yeah. of advice you would give to your younger self? Hmm. I mean, aside from not going through all this thing that I went through, that was probably sometimes I think about it and I think if I hadn't gone through this, I would be probably have had, well, certainly have graduated medical. I would have graduated medical school sooner, started my career sooner, had less debt from the first school and the second, started earning money sooner, um, had kids, all of that stuff. And sometimes, you know, but then I'm like, maybe it was worth it to Cause I do really think it makes me a better yeah. doctor, honestly, because like, I really, I like feel for my patient. Like, I don't know. I really just do feel for them. And I, I, when I see someone struggle and um, well, more for me, it's more people that want to lose weight and have such a hard time. And I think they look at me and they're like, this girl doesn't know what she's talking about. She's like a skinny runner person. I'm like, and like, I think to myself, no, like I know yeah. you, like I feel you, like I know how hard it is. So I don't know, I can't, that's not really a piece of advice, but something I yeah. think about often is, um, but I guess um, one piece of I mean, advice I would have had that is just like to perfectionism. And this is what the, the doctor um, at the place I went to for treatment last told me, she's like, Cara, your perfectionism will kill oh. you. Meaning like I could be so perfect that I would drive myself to death by being perfect with not eating. So like use, like being a perfectionist can be a good thing, but there can be too much of a good thing. And sometimes, um, you have to like, let things go a little bit and that's okay. And is actually better for you and better for the outcomes. Yeah. 
in the end. And you can't control everything. Yeah. Honestly. So having to give up some control and not being as much of a control freak, although my husband <laughs> would probably disagree because he thinks I'm still a control freak, but I'm less control. I definitely am less yeah. than I used to be. How about what is something that you think keeps people from being happy? Mm. Good question. Um, I think something I do too. I mean, I think we all do it. It's just like all, and now it's worse with, which I didn't really have to deal with growing up because <laughs> I'm old. Um, like social media makes it worse, but comparing yourself to yeah. everyone else and feeling worse. Cause certainly if I compare myself, I'm always gonna, there's so, I have so many friends who are much faster runners. I have so many friends who, um, you know, they have bigger houses or, you know, whatever. And so comparing yourself to some, to everyone else, you're always going to find the better, the people that are prettier, richer, better runners, whatever, more successful. And so you're always going to feel bad and unhappy, but, um, to, I guess, so to try to not always compare yourself to everyone else who's better than, um, and I do, I said this to you the other day, so I'm, I try to remind myself all the time, like I'm there actually very lucky and things could be worse and, to not always yet compare yourself to yeah. all the other people. You know, we, we get that response a lot. And one of the, I can't remember which guest said it, that the, the better approach, uh, this resonated for me, is uh, the be- better approach is really the only person you should compare yourself to is yourself yesterday, right? Try to be just a little bit better than you were yesterday. But that's a great answer. Thank you. So, Kara, yeah. uh, if anybody wants to know a little bit more about you, um, how should how can they reach out to you? Sure, um, I can. You put notes in the end yep. of the show, or is that it? Yeah, so I, we can give my email, and people are Great. welcome to email. Me Will do. Thank you. Well, again, uh, thank you so much. I think this is a really important topic. I think your journey, your story, is amazing. Um, I think it's going to inspire a lot of people. If you can drop out of, if you are, you know if you have to drop out of medical school and figure out how to get back in and become a, a doctor <laughs> again, after all that, I mean, we, everybody knows it takes a lot to go through that. Um, that, that just says a whole lot about you. That that's incredibly inspiring. And uh, despite all of the uh, circumstances that you had. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, I know there's going to, it's going to touch a lot of people. So thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Seeing me. I know. I was just thinking too. I don't know if I've ever seen you with like sunlight behind you. <laughs> Till he's dark when we run. Uh, all right. Take care. Thank you.